From digital horsemanship, this is Finding the Field, bringing you stories and insights from today's most inspiring horsemen and women. Oh, what are these people in the stands thinking about this right now? I need to put my best foot forward and kind of save face in a way and make this thing ride perfect all the time. And it shortchanges you for actually getting through that and getting the horse better. I'm super excited to introduce my guests today. We have shared missions to make performance horses accessible. So I want to introduce Jake and Luke Lindahl from Lindahl Performance Horses. They specialize in reining and cow horse prospects. But more interesting to me, they do some online coaching. They hold clinics, but they also have a podcast, Project Horse Podcast, where they talk about not only horse training, but what I consider people training. They talk a lot about the riders and how to become a better horse person. And I listen to it almost on the daily now, but unfortunately I'm all caught up. So while you're listening to this episode, go look up Project Horse and subscribe. And then when you're done, start listening to it. So Jake Luke, thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you for having us. Glad to be here. So fill in that gap a little bit. Tell us a little bit more about your business. We start our business uh, at the beginning of this year, actually. We're kind of just launching and this comes this is kind of a product that we've now put together after a lot of years of studying working under various trainers both from what we call the clinician world and also more top of the line performance horse and show horse trainers and just trying to combine a lot of that knowledge and it's partly inspired by our own experience as learners and what we wish someone had helped coach us through and walk us through and teach us in the past that would have made our progression a lot smoother and a lot easier. I want to dive into that a little bit. Is there a specific time where you wish you had been taught something sooner? Well, I think when you're first starting out, you do need to kind of taste, touch, and play with different programs, you know, work, work for different people. If you If you want to get into the professional end of it, you have to explore. You know, it's like trying different food. You don't know what your favorite food is if you only eat one food. And for me, I started out, you know, just wanting to be strictly, you know, just do general training, cult starting, etc., work ranch horses. I then kind of saw the necessity to go more of the clinician route because I struggled to communicate and I wanted to get in more of the teaching. And I think, Luke, you probably had that intuition as well. And then when we both got very embedded in that world, then we started developing new interests. Like we, we both wanted to go specialize in something and develop a skill set further. Overall, there's just so much that you can't learn. You know, there's so much we didn't understand until we went and worked for actual show horse trainers. And there's just an entire different mindset, an right. entire different mentality. And to add to that, at least in my own personal experience, and maybe you as well, Jake, starting out before we actually went out and started further in our education, actually working for somebody, it's a big wake-up call to go from consuming magazine articles, books, and videos. It's a huge wake-up call to go from that to actually seeing the kind of, you know, for lack of a better word, the behind the scenes or seeing what it really takes to get the job done and to, you know, train a horse or fix problems or show it or whatever. Like there's so much that, you know, so much lacking so much in the, the traditional media or whatever you can consume as compared to actually what you learn working for somebody. And so that's something that we're in a way trying to bring about that, you know, that looking back, it would have helped us in a way set us up to go work for somebody because it is such a big culture shock to go from when you the way you think you know how everything works 
because this is what they portray or in the like the mag in the horse and rider magazine article. But then when you actually go and see it in person, it's kind of a big oh wow okay this isn't you know I was kind of you know reading the polished version of it, but that's not reality. That's just more so for public consumption and you know promoting a, a good outlook and brand. And so trying to kind of especially young trainers in general, like we want to help people of all kind of walks of life, whether they want to do this as a living or not, but especially young trainers in general, trying our best in a way to at least document our own journey of what's going on so they can have, you know, a little bit more realistic look on what goes on, not always just the the polished look that comes about in like a magazine or something. So that difference between what's portrayed and reality, is that something you see more in performance horses? Oh, I'd say everywhere. Yeah, From but it's starting it's, to perform. It's everywhere, I think. But it's not like people are trying to be deceitful. No, I no. just I don't think there's enough of an open dialogue, especially for young trainers, of what to really expect and what's going on. And yeah, it was definitely a culture shock for the both of us. And you know, there's something to be said for yeah, you actually have to go do the work, develop your skills, etc. And you've got to learn sometimes, somehow, but. There's so many things I wish I would have been just made aware of before, like brought to my attention on an awareness level, even if I couldn't actually put it into practice right then, just being aware of, of stuff that goes on because, you know, a lot of stuff I was, I was completely ignorant of. And so, yeah, like we've met so many people that are kind of in that fringe area between they're like an advanced beginner or they've been in what we call the clinician realm of, of doing a lot of basics and a lot of foundation stuff and they want to move on, but that step to getting up there, there's like a gap there between the the beginner stuff or if you want the more specialized knowledge, you pro- you kind of have to go work for somebody because if you don't, you're not going to get access to anything that resembles what actually goes on. You're going to get kind of generalities and stuff. It's tough to put this stuff into a podcast or a video or anything like that. And, and a lot of people have tried and we're trying our way, I guess, to just try to be relatable is really what right. the goal is at the end of the day. Is there something specific when you were working for a trainer? This is a minor example of kind of put into what we're talking about. But I know myself, before I went out and actually got to work for somebody, I was of the mindset and we see this quite a bit. We saw it, I mean, at the last clinic we did even, what we've seen where, why would you ever ride them in anything more than a smooth snaffle? You know, why would you ever ride the horse in a shank bit? And I was of that mindset there at one point because that's all that I'd read and all the videos that I'd seen. I'd never seen a horse in a bridle. The people that I followed and the programs that, that I really liked, I'd never seen the horse in a bridle. I was like, why Why would you do that? You can't get the job done in a snaffle? I mean, that's just that's just poor horsemanship. Why would you have to put in a bigger bridle to get the job done? Uh, why don't you just get the horse broke and then you can stay in a smooth snaffle? I, I was of that mindset and I really bought into that and believed that. And, you know, when you actually then get to kind of step out of that mindset and work for somebody and you're forced to open yourself up to different ideas, you can see, okay, that's just not a realistic outlook. That's not a way to get the job done. And, you know, it forces you in a way to kind of open your mind up and broaden your horizon, so to speak. Well, and something we harp on a lot in our podcast, which anybody that listens to more than one episode kind of knows, we're big on you know, a lot of straightness, talking about what collection really means, etc. And that's us trying to put into words just our experience going from a mindset of lots of lateral flexion, lots of bending, getting the horse super broke loose. But then how do you pick up those pieces 
now that the horse is broke, you know, and they're soft, but how do you then pick up those pieces and put them back together in a cohesive unit to go do maneuvers, to actually go do something, you know? I mean, there's a difference between soft and quiet versus can actually handle and go do maneuvers and the horse can move their body as one unit and stay together, stay straight underneath you. And we, I I guess it's just a product of us kind of being in a mindset for so long and then now, you know, seeing what the possibilities are once you advance out of that and now trying to reach back to people who are kind of struggling in those same trenches we used to be in and looking at, hey, here, this is the way out right here. This is how you stop floundering and, and advance a little bit further with your horses. And, and that, that's probably my biggest awareness level realization was just being more focused and aware of what's going on in the horse's body overall. It was always things I was ignorant of. And then I get to, uh, I work for a place where that's in the forefront of their consciousness and mindset every single day. And that's what I'm talking about when I'm saying it was a complete culture shock is just the focus is completely different there. I want to take us back a little bit. How both or separately either of you got into horses in the first place? Well, it was all our younger sister's fault. We actually, we weren't really that into horses for the longest time. Baseball and, and other stuff was kind of our our focus. And and our sister, Joanne, who's the oldest of our three younger sisters, she wanted to get into 4-H and do horses. And my folks ended up buying her like an older AQHA pleasure horse to start showing in 4-H and AQHA youth and stuff. And we really weren't horse people. So we were having problems with this horse. Oh, yeah. The first show that she took it to, it was just a halter class. And I mean, it was rearing up and whinnying and jumping around. And oh, it was oh, just yeah. a complete. It was, it was having a grand old time because we didn't know what, what, what we were doing, you know, in order to handle this thing or, or fix any problems. And anyway, long story short, one of our assistant coaches who coached us on our middle and high school baseball teams, he actually was really into horses. He was really into watching, at the time, RFD-TV was, was kind of new, I think. So Chris Cox, Clinton Anderson, all these different clinicians had programs on horse training, and he bought a lot of these guys' DVDs, and he'd been studying it, and he was kind of a self-taught guy. And I remember going to trail ride with him one time, and he had this black mare that he'd been training. And the way this mare handled and how she behaved and everything so quiet, so broke, so controllable compared to our out of control, you know, feedlot ranch horses. Because by that time we had a couple additional horses we bought as well. And we had no idea what we were doing. And, and he's out there and this horse just looked amazing. Like I was, I was really taken aback at how well his mare handled. And I'll never forget that mare. But anyways, so he, he basically started coaching us and we ended up buying a couple nicer horses for both myself and Luke to start training and it kind of snowballed from there. We started showing and did a lot of 4-H and, and trained more horses. And then we got into a phase where we, were, we actually started training for other people for money while we were still young. And then as things progressed, we wanted to then go work for somebody else to develop further. Did your sister, did you guys end up keeping that original horse she had? We do. Oh, we yeah. did, yes. And he actually, he's still there. He's old. He's retired now, but he's still around. Did you help your sister with him? Yes. We didn't have an arena, but like right out in front of our house where we live in the country, we kind of have this alfalfa field. 
And so for the longest time, we just had like a four leaf clover pattern inside of a square, like just paths that were trodden into the alfalfa of, you know, doing loping drills and stuff like that. And, and that was basically our arena was either that or dirt roads or a hay field that was mowed. You know, we just kind of made do. It just kind of Kind of grew from there. Yeah, that was kind of your your project. Really, was that horse? You know, it was a little too much for our sister at that time to handle. I don't remember what she would have been. Probably what eleven, maybe twelve. Yeah, somewhere in there. So that was kind of your project. You got, you know, one on one help. Um, our assistant coach, he would come over just voluntarily, almost daily. Yeah, and give you help. And at that point, I still really wanted nothing to do with it. You know, the last experience I had with horses, I found a pair of my dad's old spurs. And uh, I got on this horse. We had an empty cattle yard, and usually whenever that happened, we he'd have us kids just ride around in it, walk and trot around. Well, I found these spurs, and I don't know if I, I don't even know if I had boots at that time or not. I might have just put them on my tennis shoes. I don't remember, but I kicked him, and he kicked out at my legs. And of course, at that time, I thought that was NFR saddle bronc, and so I jumped off. And I was done at that point. I, I was sworn off of horses. I didn't need to waste my time with it. it. Just, you know, no more. But then as it just grew and you got your lessons, Jake, and just kind of day by day, and then you got another horse, that buckskin, I kind of started to do, well, everyone else is doing it. I kind of want to do it, you know, and then it just kind of all snowballed from there. Yeah. Justin was a big help to me. He had different DVDs, like Riding with Confidence and some of the older DVDs from several clinicians. And I ended up buying, and this is not the ideal way to do this, but because we didn't have a lot of money to spend on a really broke horse, I ended up getting a colt. However, as far as like hitting the jackpot on a on a just pure chance, get the best-minded possible horse, like once-in-a-lifetime type mindset, that's what this horse was. He was a buckskin horse named Tyree, and that was probably the horse that really boosted my confidence and solidified that, yes, this, this horse thing, this is what I want to do from now on. Well, yeah, that was the kind of the one that then kind of roped me in eventually. You went off to a baseball tournament, I think, and Justin came over and he said that we need to stay on this thing and, and keep working him every day right now. Consistency is the key. But he wanted to just lunge it around with someone on its back. And like, Luke, get over here and get on this horse. <laughs> and, of course, I was white-knuckling it, completely terrified to start. It was just kind of trial by fire. I really didn't have a chance to be scared. I was too worried about just hanging on because he's, you know, he's, he's sending it off. It's loping around. He's changing directions, rolling it back left and right. I don't, you know, he's not calling it out. He's just going with it. And he was really just kind of giving me a baptism of fire and just kind of pushing me out of my shell in a way and just getting me on the thing and getting going. But by the end of it, I was... At that point, I was hooked. Yeah, That sounds scary. <laughs> kind of throw you in the deep end, so learn how to swim. <laughs> yeah. How that worked. So then after that, you guys had similar paths, went off for, for some clinicians, and then you each kind of went a little bit of different directions. And Luke, you went and worked for some reining trainers, and one in particular that's super successful. Can you tell us about kind of that experience? After we, you know, both worked for several years at the the mothership, as we like to say, then I was able to get a chance to work for Andrea Fapani for a little over a year. I don't know. It's raining has has always just kind of been what's really drawn me to the horse thing. Like went like Jake said earlier on when we started. Yeah, all we really wanted to do was just go and learn how to 
start colts and fix some problem horses and just general horsemanship. Like that was to us kind of the pinnacle of what the industry had to offer. And then once we got started working with some people and got exposed to it, you know, we really learned that we didn't even know what we didn't know. Yeah, the colt starting was nice and that was cool, but then there was some more advanced type of riding within the the realm of horsemanship and clinician type stuff, and that kind of suited our fancy in a way. That was nice, but then, oh, there's this other thing called reining, or for you, Jake, oh, there's this other thing called cow horse, and, you know, that was like the top, top, just the the precision and, you know, the time and the dedication and whatnot that it takes with the reining horse. You When you watch the reining, that kind of is like the ultimate as far as horsemanship or what you can get done with a horse. You know, as far as, in my opinion, and everyone has their opinion on that, but in my humble opinion, he's probably the the best that the industry has probably ever seen, and he's definitely the best right now as well. I mean, he's got it down, you know, to a science. When I got to, to go there, I had some idea of what I thought a stop was and what a turnaround was, but I really had no idea what it was. I mean, he was bringing, like, nuclear physics into what I was bringing to the table, which was, like, basic arithmetic. You know, he's got everything down to such a science, and, you know, going to work for someone that only rides reining horses was a pretty cool experience just to see that side of the industry and kind of immerse myself 100% in that program. Tell us about a specific example. What's something that you learned at Fapani that has really stuck with you? Well, the biggest thing I would say, and this is something that we've harped a lot on our podcasts and our videos and stuff, and this is was really when I got there, he had me fly out for three days and just ride there and see if I'd be a good fit type of a thing. And by the end of the three days, it was, when I got back, like I was kind of in awe and just kind of in shock of it because it had totally flipped my horsemanship world upside down in a way. And it's not, you know, I don't mean this in a bad way. I think it's incredibly important and underrated, in a, especially in a lot of the performance horse disciplines that we see, just getting a horse really soft laterally and just broke, that's incredibly important. But at the same time, just like before I actually left home to go work for somebody, I was of the impression, oh, smooth snaffle is the only thing you ever need. Anything more than that, you're abusive or you're not getting the job done. The same mindset I carried over in the fact that I was like, well, left and right is where it at. You need that lateral suppleness, softness. When I pick up, I want to feel air. I need you feather light everywhere, left, right, forwards, backwards. I, I, need, I need you just bending around like a pretzel every position I need you in. And when I went to Andreas, after just those that three-day little mini kind of test where he just threw me on some two-year-olds and some, some older derby horses just to, you know, have me feel it out, him talking to me and kind of coaching me through when I was, you know, especially when I got there, what did I do? I audibled, you know, riding his horses to, to what I knew, left and right, warm them up, jog them around, break them loose, soften their body parts up, stuff like that. And so he would... He started, you know, kind of immediately kind of coaching me on his philosophy of that. And while he liked a lot of that stuff and he thought it was valuable for younger horses, he also really tried, and it took him a good six months in a way, he was always hammering the point into me that if you're going to turn this horse from a just a broke, rideable horse into a performance horse, Jake, we were in the same boat with this. A lot of horses that we had that we advanced farther and farther the horses would just anticipate more and more left, right, left, right. And so our answer to that was to go left and right faster to counteract that, to do the opposite of what the horse was doing. And so we'd just do it faster and we'd create these like 
spastic worms that couldn't even go forward. It was impractical to then take that into an actual reining horse that you could go and do a pattern with like one-handed. And that was probably the most difficult thing for me to understand and kind of retrain myself. And so getting away from the left and right and learning that there's a balance. You have to have the left and right. Your lateral softness is key, absolutely key. I, I really believe that. But at some point, you have to then balance that and move away with it and start working on maneuvers and straighten this horse out. You know, I learned that the hard way, even riding some of the horses with Andreas. There would be several horses that he'd get on himself and he'd start riding and it would just completely fall apart underneath him. He's like, look at this. I, I can't even lope a circle. He's trying to bend around to my toe. You know, you can't have this. And so I made that mistake. Uh, many countless times I and mean, you know, I'm surprised he put up with me when you're talking about kind of bridging the gap between this horsemanship clinic kind of world and this performance horse type of world how do you literally work that in into your training program now I guess it's a balance between you know we do our foundation work as I would say as far as the lateral suppling the leg yielding etc we go a step further than most performance horse trainers take it but we also adopt their mindset they have the end goal and the end product in mind from day one. The, the end goal, the maneuvers that they're going for, influences everything they do from the first time they step on that horse's back. And I think it's foolish to discard that or say, I'm going to get my foundation set and then I'm going to go. No, you have to, you have to have the end goal in mind from the beginning. It has to inform what you're doing. That's where we're at now is we're trying to figure out what the right balance is between the two. I want to touch on that a little bit because you're documenting all of these things through video, Facebook, your podcast, and you're really putting yourselves out there and opening yourselves up to judgment. How do you deal with that? It's funny you brought that up because I was just in a, well, I don't know if you call it a conversation, whatever it is, messaging, whatever, like over Facebook. But this person who I've been helping with their particular horse, just in what I can do over video and, and you know, they type up, you know, different things that are happening. And so they had, they had put out a little video of them turning the horse around and, and they had just said, well, you know, here's the latest session we did, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, Luke's been telling me not to worry about what, because she rides at this barn where there's a lot of people around have a lot of opinions, or she puts videos out. There's a lot of opinions. And so she really kind of struggles in a way to get those opinions out there or put out the videos and ask for help because, you know, you've got the equine police that step out and rip it apart or call, oh, why are you doing that? It puts stress on its shoulder or you're, you're pinching the, E7 vertebrate or whatever on the left meniscus of the hind, you know, right stifle or whatever. Who knows? And so, you know, she had said, well, you know, Luke told me just to put out the, the good stuff as well as the bad and, and not worry about other people's opinions. And, of course, there, you know, most of the comments were, you know, you know, because the beginning of the video, it was a bit ugly. And then it finished off pretty decent. And so most of the, the, the comments and responses she got was, you know, it's the, the finished product that count, you work through the trouble, blah, blah, blah. But there was one in particular that made a comment that the horse had really wide shoulders and that made it hard to step around. And so he was putting stress on his shoulders and all the trainers that make horses spin are so annoying to listen to. And it was just funny because I'd had a previous conversation with her well regarding like putting yourself out there and doing that stuff. And one of the things that I learned from Andrea and just watching him and watching guys like Casey Deary, Sean Florida, 
And those type of people, like being around them, you'd be around like Casey Deary, Andrea Fapani, you'd be around them. They're super nice people. They're down to earth. They're just practical. They're real people. But when it comes to like the, the training, people on the sidelines, I'm guilty of this myself. You're sitting in the stands and you're watching trainers ride their horses like, you know, during the night at a show at the Derby or something and things aren't going well. You know, naturally, your inclination is to go, Ooh, look at so-and-so, that ain't going so well. You know, and then you can you know, start to chuckle and giggle amongst yourselves or whatever. But the person on that horse, like, you know, like me in that situation at one time would be on that horse. And so I'd be thinking about, oh, what are these people in the stands thinking about this right now? I need to put my best foot forward and kind of save face in a way and make this thing ride perfect all the time. And it shortchanges you for actually getting through that and getting the horse better. You know, one of the qualities that I noticed, you know, with all these people that are really successful at that level is even if, whether it looks bad and they're riding it for the owner the day they come to see it or whether it's riding great, what they, do, they don't care. They don't live and die by the outside opinion because they're only concerned about getting the best product they have to offer. And they don't worry about, you know, what everyone else has to say. And that's why they're so successful. That's why they can go out there and they can show in front of a crowd of however many thousand people show up at the finals and there's people judging them and it's just them in the arena and they can go out there and show and if they overspin or underspin or they do the pattern great, they, it does not affect them. They don't live and die by the outside opinion in a way and that gives them that mental fortitude to go out there and show and you know they work through the problem and then you know the next night that they come out there, that same per person is waiting for some sort of a rodeo and now the horse looks great. And same thing with this comment about the horse's shoulders. If people had always focused on the excuses and why they couldn't do something, there would be no such thing as an Andrea Fapani or a Casey Deary. And it really comes down to a lot of people shortchange their own horse's success because they come up with some excuse to use that's really just something more in them. Like they don't want to actually go out there and kind of you know work through the ugliness to get to the good stuff. Well, to summarize it a little bit, like Luke touched on, the, the people that are successful, they aren't afraid to push things. And so, you know, I guess one way that we can be, that we can kind of help our clients is be like, you know, look at us. We're putting, we're putting our warts and our ugly side out there so that you guys can learn from it. If we get some criticism, that's fine. But let us be your excuse and your, your reason to take things a little bit further. You know, we're very upfront about the fact that we're, we're learning as well. We're documenting our process. We don't have everything figured out. We don't proclaim to be master horsemen. I guess that's what we're trying to encourage. Just don't be so hard on yourself. Even the best horses out there still have their bad days. Right. So true. So Jake, you have this really great blog post and it's linked out on your guys' Facebook page. And I mean this in the best way. It is incredibly insightful and incredibly deep. But Jake, in there, you talk about how in training horses, you are training yourself to be a better person. Dive into that a little bit for us. What do you mean by that? Oh, I think I think I've always struggled kind of like what we just touched on of being very hard on myself, just being kind of a I don't know, not a negative person, but someone who gets really tore up over the slightest things. And that's something I had to learn with horses is persistence and not just letting your emotions go out of control and staying practical and not getting into fights, not creating issues. I think that's something that, well, any horseman really has to develop, and it, it takes some time. But then 
the flip side of that, not only being effective with the horse, but then communicating with other people. That was always my biggest struggle. What I really learned at the end of the day was just how to have better relationships with people in general. The horses were just a proxy. It was a relationship game. It was a communication game. And I got better at it as time went on, thankfully. So throughout your time, and both of you, I'd love to hear, what is the best advice you've ever been given as a horseman? Luke, you got anything ready? (laughs) That's a tough one. I mean, there is probably the most recent that stuck out to me that really changed my career path. But I was at the, um, oh, it was a pre-faturity in Tulsa, I believe. And this guy who was stalled next to us, real nice guy. At the time, I, I didn't know who he was, and I'm just a little Johnny nobody. And he gave me the time of day and talked to me, and real, real cool guy. And, you know, he was at the stalls. He was asking about, you know, who I was, who I worked for, blah, blah, blah. Then he went into kind of his own experiences working with several different trainers. And he told me that in his own experience, as a trainer, there's so many things that you'll never learn being an assistant. You only learn them once you get out on your own, in your own program and in business, but more so in your own training program. So there's so many things that you can't do or try or that you won't realize when you're an assistant that you will once you get out on your own. And I don't know, maybe that's not the most profound advice, but for whatever reason, that's always resonated with me and kind of stuck. And I'll, I'll never forget that. You can fail faster, learn faster, kind of. Exactly. Yeah, I don't think I could narrow things down to like a specific quote. It's more like a compilation of things that I just kind of finally was able to understand over time. I guess you could just have it under the umbrella of being a thinking horseman. And that's mean different things to me at various times. What it means to me now is being practical, being self-aware enough to understand what your weaknesses are and the pitfalls and traps that you will sometimes find yourself in, you know, different problems that come up with horses and how you react. And being self-aware and able to catch yourself from aggravating things and going off the deep end, but also having the flexibility to work and think your way through a problem. You mentioned about being a thinking horseman. Can you tell us a specific example? As far as like show horses goes, uh, there's been a few, you know, like I remember this one two-year-old in particular that is kind of that way and just real hot, nervous, running off, had a bad habit of wanting to dive his shoulders. Very unconfident horse. Just being patient with him. And rather than, you know, one big problem of his was that when you went to stop this horse, for example, he was real bracy real locked up in the front end, just awful. And again, very tense, bracy, jittery, shocky. There's many terms you could use to describe him. And the amount of time I took or, you know, just kind of playing around with him to do lots of transitions, you know, kind of almost what we now call scaling, where I'm just building his confidence to run hard by running him a little bit, breaking him down nice and soft, showing him there's nothing to be afraid of, just take a hold of him, get him confident with accepting it, and just in increments building his confidence to where he was loose and relaxed. I could run him hard, and then his true talent came out. That taught me a lot. You know, not every horse has to conform to your cookie-cutter way, and if they don't, throw them aside. In this case, he just needed a little extra consistency, a little bit of consideration for his specific mindset and problems, and then his true talent got unlocked. And that was a very, very strong lesson for me. I guess if I was going to go for a quote, going back to your earlier question, 
uh, something that really was was like a, a great piece of advice. It was that a horse will never be truly soft until they're relaxed. And this was a big instance that really crystallized that for me. Well, we're coming up here on the close of our time. I'd love to get a parting piece of guidance from each of you. I think the key is really just stay open-minded to what you're doing. Force yourself outside of your comfort zone. Go out there and do it and just see what you can accomplish if you open your mind up a little bit and kind of step away from your ego and go out there and get something done. Give it your all. Yeah, mindset is key. I think for me, everything comes back to self-awareness. This is something we touched on a lot in our podcast as well, is being open-minded, yes, and flexible with what you're doing, but not so open-minded that your brains fall out. You know, Don't fall for those cheap, quick, and easy routes. No matter what route you take, it's, it's going to be a process, and it's, it's developing yourself mentally as well as the horse. And I think another part that I find myself coaching people a lot on is the self-awareness angle, being honest with your ability as well as your horse's ability and level of talent and what you can reasonably expect. And that's tough, though, because you, you need to find a mentor who is positive and will help build your confidence, but at the same time will be realistic with you. It's difficult, sure, but they say horsemanship is a journey. Again, it's a cliche because it's true. And I really think that's a big component of it is, is engaging with different people, different training programs, different mindsets, so that you, you can take all that, process all that, and for yourself, zero in on who you really are as a horseman, what you really want, what your expectations are, and go from there. Wonderful, you guys. I think it's great, too, for those in the audience who are hunting for those mentors and maybe don't have them yet. Now, hopefully, they can go to you guys and go check it out. Go check out their podcast, Project Horse Podcast. If you haven't subscribed already, go subscribe. Right after this, maybe listen to one. And a lot of the things that Jake and Luke touched on here, they really build out in detail in a lot of their episodes and talking about these bits and some of these nervous horses, a lot of that they get into. So it's, it's fascinating. Go, go listen to it now. And guys, what is the best way for people to get in touch with you? I'd say the best way would be on social media. You know, we're always answering Q&A questions on Facebook. I know a lot of people don't like doing that, but we take the time, we read all of our comments or they can email us, lundallperformance at gmail.com. That's another easy way. Great. And I'm going to challenge all the listeners right now. If you have a question about your horse, shoot it over to them on Facebook. Shoot them an email. Do something. Send them your question. I guarantee they'll get back to you. So, guys, I apologize if you get a flood of emails and comments. But uh, <laughs> oh, we love. I it. want people to come to you. <laughs> we, we love being put on the spot. So, thank you. Perfect. Well, thanks so much for being here. We yes, really appreciate thank it. Thank you so much for having us on. We enjoyed it. 